firm and unwavering. Oh, oh wait, no. Black Lives Matter. Okay, welcome to the Truth to Power Show and Ready for Brooklyn. I'm your host, Vijay Nathan, and we have two special guests with us today. Um, first off, we're going to introduce Sudha Ramaswamy, who wears many different hats. She's an author, teacher, and poet. She works as a third grade teacher of uh, English language arts and social studies in a charter school in Dallas, Texas. She has written several children's books about truth and right action and peace, entitled Fancy um, Ansani, Help Ever Hurt Never, and Peace by Peace, uh, spelled P-E-A-C-E. Her um, books teach life lessons with fun and humor. She has also published uh, some works for children's education companies. She's passionate about poetry and participates in 30-Day Poetry Challenge every year in April for National Poetry Month. Welcome, Sudha. Let me just make sure the um, thing is plugged in. Let me see. Okay. Um, you say again, Sela? Thank you, I said. Oh, okay. Okay. Let me just check something in the set preferences. Audio. There you go. That should work now. All right, try again. Hi, good morning. Can you hear me? Yeah, now I can hear you. Okay, good. good. I did reset something in the the uh, audio. Okay. okay. So welcome to the... Okay. Thank you. So now... Um, now we should have the second speaker is Kavita. Um, Kavita uh, Dule. Is that how you pronounce it? Dule? Hello? Yes, that's right. Okay. Kavita is a uh, developmental director at Aurora Theater in Berkeley, California. Her poetry and fiction have appeared in Glass, a journal of poetry, Pretty Owl Poetry, Drunk Monkeys, the Eastern Iowa Review, and other publications. She attended the Kenyan uh, Review Writing Workshop in 2021 and has been invited for poetry residency at the Vana, uh, Voice of Our Nation's Arts Foundation, uh, this summer. Welcome to you both. Um, why don't we start with Kavita? Uh, tell us a little bit about um, what, what, uh, what kind of inspires you in writing and uh, what's kind of, what are you most passionate about? And also give us, a, give us a shout out to where you're calling in from. Thank you, Vijay, for inviting me for the show. I'm, call, I'm here from Albany, California, which is right next to Berkeley, um, a center of social justice for many. Um, I uh, write, I'm, I'm motivated and inspired by social justice, but also uh, really it's about language and um, how language influences um, how we interpret our interactions with people. Um, and I'm really interested in expanding my um, ideas of, of images that represent uh, different ideas about social justice. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, we'll break down a little bit more into that. We'll get a little more into kind of how that manifests in your writing and perhaps read and listen to a little bit of your writing. But I do want to get to that in here for the introductory period. Uh, so, though, what are some things that you're passionate about and where are you calling in from and some things that kind of come up in your writing, some themes or ideas? Thank you. Yeah. 
Okay, so I'm in uh, near Dallas, Texas, a place called Arlington, and um, I'm a third grade teacher, and I've always been very passionate about writing, and uh, because I work in the school uh, system, I wanted to do some writings for children, and so um, my aim and goal is to write five children's books uh, based on five important uh, values, which are truth, right action, peace, love, and nonviolence. And um, I've written three of the five so far. So um, they're, they're geared towards children. So the first one about truth is called Fancy and Nancy. And it's based on an uh, African uh, folktale character named Nancy the Spider. And he um, learns a lot of lessons in life based on some mistakes that he makes and so we I was teaching third grade one one year in New Jersey and uh, we were reading a lot of books about a Nancy and I told the class that you know we're now ready to write our own books and I said as a matter of fact I'll write one and you write one and so I had that book with me for many years and then there was an opportunity for me to get it published and so that's really what sparked my um, interest to write books, children's books, so I wrote that one, and then that's about some, you know, animals, including a spider, and the second book is about two boys who are friends, it's also a children's book, and it's about uh, right action, um, doing the right thing in a difficult situation, and the third book that I just wrote is called Peace by Peace, and it's about peace, and it, like which I said, it's spelled P-E-A-C-E, and it's about um, how we can find peace in different aspects of our lives, uh, such as um, uh, you know being lonely and, and finding peace in that, and then being very competitive and finding some kind of a equilibrium for that. And so there's uh, three different situations or, or characters that are involved in this, and there's a one character who um, tries to spread peace. So I'm very passionate about teaching my students and children around the world about how to inculcate these important values into their lives, especially in a world today where they're struggling just to to stay afloat, I guess, and yeah. so doing the right thing and being being um, motivated to do that. Thank you. So thank my you. goal is to write two more books, one about love and one about uh, nonviolence. Thank you. Thank you. So, returning to Kavitha's ideas about social justice, I wonder whether or not uh, there might be a, a connection there. Like, what? How do you break down social justice, and what are some of the values, perhaps, that underlie social justice that may maybe have some overlap there? Well, that's uh, that's a very good question, and it's hard to answer. I think that um, you know we all have a have our own idea of what justice is based on. It that's informed by our personal experience and our values. Mm. Um, but I would say that that social justice really is about um, making sure that people's rights are honored mm. um, and people's uh, aspirations are acknowledged and people's needs go um, met, I mean, don't go unmet. Um, and uh, I, I wouldn't say that uh, poets are necessarily warriors for social justice but they can be and mm. um, i'm excited to be part of that yeah yeah and i think definitely we, when we break it down you know some of the 
fundamental building blocks being the the nonviolence aspect to it. I think it's important to emphasize that because a lot of times, you know, with social justice causes, a lot of people tend to do very um, aggressive uh, action um, or violent action. And whether or not, whether or not we, we, do, we as a society must say that we want to have, communicate in the right way, we want to communicate through, through these values of peace and love. And, and, and how can we even do that? How can we navigate that system when we have systemic oppression going on and people are not willing to listen? You know, I think that it's easy on some level to kind of talk about you know, peace and love, but then it's another level to say that. And when, you know, the, the oppressor is when systemic oppression is happening and how can we adjust that in a way that, um, that, yeah, that, that gives honors the people's rights as, as Kavita was saying. So, so that if you want to chime in there with how can we bring this discussion of, um, kind of these value based discussions into, uh, into a social justice realm. Yeah, I I really believe that it needs to start early, and and as uh, time goes on, I'm finding it's more important to start er, you know earlier the better. Um, we see the things that are going on in our world, in our schools, and um, you know trying to spread that message of how of being able to be okay with diversity and being able to be more acceptant and tolerant of people I think is crucially important in this day and time and um, you know we I think that it's it's very helpful if if people young people are aware of that because that kind of molds their future and their thoughts and um, you know kind of being in that certain kind of groove that this is the only way to be is very dangerous yeah, yeah, definitely being stuck in one way. We have to kind of move side to side, as it were, and be able to adapt to the changing circumstances. I think that's what I'm hearing, if that resonates with you. Um, yeah, yeah. And then uh, we, we were talking about, like, discovering a lot of times in the show, we talk about discovering the truth, discovering what's the truth for us, what's true for us, what's true for our society. Um, you know, we talk a little bit about, um, and as, as, as both of you were saying, you have, like, a, a value or a goal or an ideal, but uh, in order to achieve that ideal, we have to discover what's the fundamental truth underlying, uh, you know, that we're, we're speaking on. We've spoken a little bit about that, but um, what do you think is a truth that you, you is undervalued by most people, like not being talked about, or you know, kind of a thing, or it's kind of a, um, you know, something that's just being quite, people are not really talking enough about. And um, maybe I can start with Kavita for that one. Okay. So, cover that. Why don't you uh, tell us a bit about what's what's some, some aspect of this this uh, discussion that's not being talked about enough? Well, and there are a few things that I would talk about, and that, that is the value of the artist in in society, um, and how uh, you know at times like this, like during a pandemic, we rely so much on art to get us through, but we undervalue the artist who makes it. Mm. Um, and also, I would say. We, we we undervalue caregivers in the, in this in this day and age. Um, I think that uh, women especially um, find themselves in roles where they're you know juggling work and childcare and elder care and all these things, and we really kind of undervalue um, how much effort that takes and yeah. uh, what kind of skill and precision you need in order to get everything done. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I think people who are, 
you know, kind of, and, and a lot of that struggle comes from inadequate healthcare, you know, inadequate uh, healthcare exactly. coverage and the ability to make sure that your needs are being met, your basic needs are being met for health, um, that your basic needs are being met. Like, like we can't get to the point of self-actualization, like the Maslowian, um, Abraham Maslow, I think his name was, but he uh, talked a little bit about how in order to achieve the highest pinnacle of self-actualization, self-realization, we have to first go through those fundamental needs met, being met. And part of those needs being met co- comes from healthcare and, and from, uh, from having an adequate system, a safety net for all people. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's really sh- just so sad that during this pandemic, um, people have been even more isolated from basic health care. Mm. Uh, you know, people who already, you know, communities who've already been in crisis from, you know, drug, drug use or um, h- heart disease, diabetes, they're all even further um, excluded from healthcare right now because of accessibility issues. Yeah, yeah, no, totally, totally. And it's good to like address these issues and have a conversation about them so that then we can start to make the slow progress towards ensuring a safety net, ensuring that people are taken care for. So that then we can start to have the, the conversations around, well, what does that look like in the larger scheme of, you know, self-actualization of groups, self-actualization of, of, um, you know, kind of like, you know, whether or not, you know, because a lot of times the um, we talk about, you know, women empowerment, female empowerment, women empowerment, uh, empower women and, and, and specifically understanding that they play many different roles in society that, you know, a lot, a lot of women will be uh, acting in, as a caregiver, but many women choose not to. So, you know, giving the freedom of choice to uh, to them, to, to people to be able to to pursue career if they want or pursue different avenues. So it's important to like empower people to choose their path, uh, whatever it may be. Um, and, and that comes that freedom from that. So, yeah. So the, do you have any comments on what's not being talked about? What's perhaps undervalued in society? Um, um, I, I feel like, um, I guess this is more of a, a general thing. Um, like this basic sense of gratitude for what we have. Um, often there are so many challenges in our life and each and every person that you speak with have their own set of things that that are challenging, that are frustrating for them. And we become somewhat overwhelmed by that. But I think that it's really, really an important practice to um I guess think about what you do have, even if it's a small thing, um and and understand how precious life is and there's always going to be somebody who's in a much worse condition than you Mm. um have some difficulties that maybe you may not be so um i guess flustered by but it does does frustrate them and i think that really promotes this um this error or feeling about us and so if we do have gratitude towards anything and everything that kind of guides our thoughts and our words and our actions how we reflect on others and what kind of feeling um people have about you and you know you get a certain kind of energy when you talk to people and as a for me you know as a mother as a wife as a teacher you know i always feel like it's so important to empower children with this sense of confidence and sense of um, 
gratitude for what they have and that will really motivate them to reach higher goals yeah, yeah. and i think it's definitely important to emphasize that you know there's there's the personal practice there's a personal practice of, of for us for each individual to empower and we'll get into empowerment in a second but uh there's a personal practice of you know what can we do in the circumstances we're, we're kind of given to navigate that those circumstances and do the best we can and then also the societal structures that we have to address as society as as a group as a collective so there's there's i don't want to call them separate but uh, almost like you know acknowledging where where the line between what we can do to kind of practice gratitude practice you know empowerment and to what extent do we have to then address the large group and say listen um this is something that we all have to carry the burden for and you know, and where is that line between self empowerment and group empowerment? I think that's something that might be on the table for like a back burner just to call in mind as we talk about empowerment. Because like, um, you know, we talked a little bit about how we discovered these truths that you mentioned or, or other truths, and uh, we allow them to empower ourselves and our communities. But um, where do you find avenues for empowerment for yourself and feeling um, kind of like that you can take? action in a responsible and 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 uh kind of productive way so talking a little bit about that like how you can find avenues for yourself to um you know show gratitude to your life and 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 uh and and be able to um yeah navigate the the, the terrain in a way that makes you feel like you can take action so Kavita, do you want to talk a bit about empowerment and how you how you're able to use these truths as, as empowerment for yourself because sometimes it can feel like overwhelming all these problems in society that how can we empower ourselves to be able to navigate that Um, I think um, the the kindest and most positive action a person can take uh, when they have a certain amount of privilege is you know I can't I can't bestow power on someone else Mm. but I can work to dismantle what's oppressing someone else yeah Um, and, and and I think that that is that is how I show gratitude for what I have. Mm. Yeah, yeah, dismantling oppressive systems in the sense of like clearing the path of obstacles. I think you're saying right. That's what I'm hearing. Yes. Yeah. So when you see a neighbor kind of not unable to access certain resources, trying to you know show that that loving kindness to that person, so being able to help them navigate that uh, that obstacle. Um, that's kind of what I'm hearing. I'm trying to think about how that would function in a, yeah. in a scenario. I mean, frankly, <laughs> so, it, you know, it's not always my neighbor. Sometimes it's someone mm. from another neighborhood. Yeah. Because that neighborhood is more isolated than mine. And mm. so, you know, I have worked in um, different nonprofits. And one of the things that we've tried to do uh, recently um, is help spread awareness of, of the vaccination for COVID, but also... To get people in the door of a, to to address you know specific health issues that that have been gone neglected you know just getting information out there and I think so as an educator that must be really important to you is to just get and share your knowledge yeah and sharing your knowledge is is um, a gift that you give thank you so um, yeah thinking about in your own process like. Um, you know, what are some things that helped you show you the path or your, or helped you bring you to the path you're on right now? So, um, 
Like, for example, so that, how did you, how did you become so passionate about it? What were some watershed events that perhaps made you so passionate or helped you become so passionate about, um, youth education? I mean, obviously everyone kind of believes in that to some extent, but there's something that's specific calling perhaps that, yeah. that perhaps brought you in that, in that path, um, of specifically becoming an educator and specifically writing about for children's books. Yeah. Yeah, so I, um, my background in education was not in education. I um, did like chemistry, food chemistry for my undergrad degree. And I was working in a, you know, a couple of different companies. And I just didn't find that satisfaction or, or um, I guess, feeling of like doing something good for society or the world. It was just a very mundane kind of job and then on the side like uh, as a volunteer I, I volunteered in a human values program where we I worked with children and taught them you know things like uh, leadership and um, confidence and and public speaking and and I found that I was much more driven to that and much more passionate about that and you know at one point I just had to ask myself like what, where is my life going? Am I doing what really gives me that satisfaction and that confidence? And I realized that I wasn't. So then I started to look up different avenues of how I can uh, do teaching. That's what I really love to do. So I went through and took some qualification exams and stuff and then got into the teaching world. Um, my world was pretty much shattered when I started teaching. I taught in a inner city school in Jersey City, New Jersey, and it was very, very different than the volunteer work that I was doing. I mean, these kids came to us with so much baggage and so many problems that I in my life never had to, you know, encounter, I guess, given my background, the way my parents um, and the society that we I lived in raised us, it was just you go to school and you study and you have a goal to achieve it whereas these were struggling with uh, single family home single parent homes parents who were working two or three jobs and so coming to school was their really their only safe haven and on the same you know on the same side we had to deal with so many behavioral issues that teaching was a secondary thing just getting them to stay calm and and handle their feelings and understand and giving them basic things like food to eat you know coming into school having you know lunch or breakfast to eat was a big big thing for them and so then when they come into the classroom they're upset about different things going on at home with their mom or their dad who they would see once in a while and i worked in that school for a very long time I would say nearly 20 years I did not think I would survive even the first year the first year I thought I would have a you know meltdown or nervous breakdown and I mm. went and talked to my principal and I said this is not what I signed up for this is not what I expected and somehow I just held on to it I said okay maybe if having a good teacher is the only thing that helps these children get through their lives, then maybe that's my calling in life. So I just started becoming more and more invested in that field. And then I realized that 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 education and the teaching part does come if you gain their 
confidence and that you care about them that's mm. probably the most important thing if they know that you care about them then they're willing to put forward some effort so it was a very tough struggle it was an uphill battle but i felt successful in you know whatever i did there and then i started to think about you know writing and writing how it's so empowering for me so i was able to do that i had those children um publish some books through like a a scholastic program where they write something we put everything together we send it out it gets published in a hardbound book and that's something that stays with them forever you know and hopefully it, it ignites this passion for writing and then on the same token i started seeing that these kids had this great fear of math and math was too hard for them and they would give up and i realized that i need to do something uh within myself to help them so i started looking into a math leadership um masters program and i was able to discover how to make math more exciting for them and mm. more interesting for them so yeah. i did that so i think i in that sense i wear many different hats because i had to overcome my own um worries and anxieties about this to help these children Thank and you, thank so you. So now after I've moving moving to Texas, it's a very different school and a different outlook and these kids are very passionate about learning. So that makes it a lot easier for me, but um I think all in all you have to reach them, you know, from where they are and let them know how much you care about them and why they're important and valued and then you can get the best out of them. Yeah, thank you, thank you. So um I just want to do one quick follow up. So in other words, Texas has been on the news a lot. Um you know about their curriculum uh what, what do you call it? Like kind of like um their administration of curriculum they kind of have been uh have been um kind of banning books. They've been uh criticizing teachers for reading a certain kinds of literature. Have you had any experience with that or is that since something that's overblown or what do you think about that? Uh it is there and there's a lot of discussion about it amongst teachers. Uh luckily the school that I worked in um does give you a lot of independence and freedom to uh put in your own thoughts and your own ideas for this. Um they're not extremely restrictive on mm. what you can and cannot do. Yeah. Um you do have to kind of validate why you're choosing some of the things. Yeah, of course, of course, yeah. Yeah, but I know that even in neighboring school districts they do struggle. They want you to follow a very scripted um set program for whatever mm. they choose, whatever the the district or the administration chooses. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And getting like Kavita about um the the uh kind of watershed moments that helped you bring you to this philosophy. Was there any specific events or watershed moments that kind of helped you to realize the importance of uh, of these social justice causes or or uh, anything any experiences you've had that perhaps brought you to the place where you're like oh, I have to be a warrior for this kind of thing. Well, I mean, there's so many being a woman, being um a South Asian woman, being a Sikh American in the United States, um you know, uh it I've I've the lens that I've been given um has been always about finding um ways to support people who are being oppressed. I, it's just that was just what I was raised to do. Um and I can't always do it. And I think 
that you know so that i actually lived in jersey city for many years and i and i i, I know the people of jersey city very well and what i recognize also is that you know when you when you go into a classroom and you recognize the skills and the talents and the passions and um you know the assets that that the children bring underneath all of that conflict um you're doing magic you know mm-hmm. you're really you're really getting to the to the soul of of education by recognizing those assets and um you know my hat goes off to you for doing that for so many years. <laughs> thank you um and for me just uh you know i i've i've there's so many watershed moments, but um, you know, one that that really has forced me to take action more in my writing. I've I've just been a little bit too passive about it in in my year in over the years. Is I watched my father struggle with Alzheimer's, and we had um, very little medical support, and um, you know, he could speak five languages. You know, as most South Asians, you know, can speak at least three, right? And mm-hmm. he could speak five, and he could read and write them, and then. You know, I just watched it slip away, um, and and that that wa- watching that made me think about how tenuous our gifts all can be and and our joys can be. Um, so yeah. I became uh, very committed to writing because he you. himself is a, a very good poet. Yeah, why don't we get a chance? Do you have any poems already uh, that, uh, that you might be able to read, Kavita? Um, do you have a poem ready? Um, I can pull one up. Yeah, I'll give you a second to pull one up, and then uh, we can uh, um, listen a little bit to um, to a poem. And you can, if you like, you can introduce whatever. Otherwise, you can just say it after. It's it's. I'm ready. It's yeah. um. It's called the proliferation of sand, and it appeared in Glass Poetry. Poets resist. Um. Here goes the proliferation of sand. There is no asylum for the dead, the blank face of a child in a cage. You prop her, mouth open with a pen, scrape ink from her tongue. The child has risen above the borderline and died again. You write her resurrection. On the journey, she carried the cries of her ancestors on her back, traced a lacuna, ancient migrant paths where desert cordata feast on her fallen mother who, but for a proliferation of sand, was left behind unadorned. Fill the page with her remains. Even an ant can chip away to bone. Thank you. Beautiful, beautiful. And it really speaks to the themes that you're saying about how you know each individual is like written in with the lineage of, of uh, you know, so many generations. I really appreciated that. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, and if you have any, if um, you have any comments on or some of the influences or some of the um, specific writers or, or works that have influenced you, um, we t- we'll give both of you a chance to say that, but I thought you could start. Um, it was Gabriel Garcia Marquez, and uh, sorry, my Spanish is really bad. Um, but um, 100 Years of Solitude just, it just opened up everything to me. And I remember reading it. I was in London on a vacation with my dad and I was in a hotel and like near Buckingham Palace. And it was just, it was, there, there was, there's a lot of irony in this, um, this little South Asian family staying next to Buckingham Palace. Yeah. Uh, but, um, and having this, 
my world open up and I just remember, you know, um, reading with the and, and going out onto the street for the first time and well, the colors look different and you know, London is very gray, but even the gray had sort of different layers of gray. I could see all the different hues and I could see, um, you know, uh, I felt like time and space was changing. There was like the, the subway, the underground represented a dissolution of time and space and the, the pigeons could talk and, you know, the, the pigeons had stories to tell and it was just, it was really exciting. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, yeah, so that if you could talk a little bit about kind of like um, either lineage you feel like you come from or um, just how, how you hope your, your students, what you hope your students will gain from that through your writing, and then we can listen to a poem from you. But first, just talking a little bit about um, you know, any influences and uh, what you hope to influence uh, your students, how you hope, what, what you hope they'll gain from your, from your teaching. Yeah, so... Um... I mean, you were talking about some watershed moments, and I was thinking about, um, you know, what really drove me to that. Like, I spent many summers traveling to India. Um, you know, I can't. I come from a very religious, spiritual, more spiritual family, and um, I feel like that human values or you know important essential truths are are heavily embedded in that. And so, there's a concept of seeing unity and diversity and that's what our whole world i think is about everybody has a different path and a different outlook on things but being able to see you know the common thread or the unity and all of that and so that created this overwhelming realization that the world is one paths are many and it's really my my duty to be the best representation of myself and foster this acceptance of all faiths and all ideals. And it gave me a broader understanding of people and more global tolerance for uh, diversity. And so I think that when I teach my students, it's my hope to inculcate this sense of, a, of moral awareness, empathy for others, uh, and acceptance, acceptance of unity and diversity and knowing that this child might be different than you and their family might be different than yours but uh that's okay and you can still learn to like them and learn to accept them and so that's really has been my driving force i think thank you thank you good good and why don't we, why don't we take a moment to listen to a poem from you as well if sure you, if you'd like yeah and recently i've been um I guess um, someone very, very close to me went through a, a lot of uh, domestic violence struggles. And so uh, every year when I write these, I'm um, part of a 30-day 30, 30 poetry challenge where they give you a prompt and ask you to write something. And so um, the prompt was about shoes, and I started to think about myself in others' shoes. And so this poem goes, In Your Shoes. I slipped into your shoes today and felt your consternation. Seeing life from your perspective, I hold you in admiration. I slipped into your shoes today and felt your aspiration. Your energy and zest for life gave me a new foundation. I slipped into your shoes today and felt your dedication. Your sincerity and truthfulness shines real life education. I slipped into your shoes today and felt your contemplation. 
working on self-improvement is the basis of transformation. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, beautiful. I think it's nice the the meter and the rhythm of it. It was very good. Thank you. Um, yeah. So that um, we were just touching in on like uh, what you hope uh, people will gain, or you know, when you teach, uh, what you hope the listeners will receive from you. Uh, that was one of the creative questions. Um, so like, uh, so in other words, like, you know, a lot of times, you know, we have teachers and, you know, what, what do you hope that they'll walk away? Uh, what skill sets do you hope they'll walk away with, um, from, from a class with you or, or your, however long it takes to teach them? Yeah. So, I mean, aside from the academic, um, standards and things that we're required to teach um, this particular school that I'm working that I work in also places a great deal of emphasis on like 14 um, character traits and those character traits are things like um, honesty and dedication and um, you know helpfulness to others and I think that 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 sense of empathy is so so important uh, for to be able to understand each other, and so that that's something that, and we are actually required to um, sort of weave those different fourteen character traits in our lessons, and we have to show like how we're going to work on those each day, and I think that's important because it makes us reflect on it a lot more, and so the you know the typical things that you experience in schools like bullying and and uh, children treating each other in a negative way and kind of bringing down their spirits and stuff those are things that are existent in every school but I think that um, everyone in the school from the custodians who work there to the cafeteria workers and the teachers and the principals they cognizantly think about these things how can we be a living example for these children and even the way they talk to the children is so sweet and so empathetic and it makes the children kind of feel at peace that like okay this person is not coming down on me they really just want to help me improve and they're looking for ways and so we always try to find something positive even when a student has to go down to speak to the you know discipline coordinator or something they make them do a lot of inner reflection and what is it that made you act like this and you obviously made this other student feel very bad or or your actions prove to be something that is against our code of conduct in the school but they make them really think about it and not just um i guess be defensive about what they're going through Mm. and i think that's so important in life too to be able to understand others and also you know seek first to understand and then be understood thank you thank you that was really good it's interesting to contemplate so i think people understand the standards of the educational system are are there to serve a purpose and they can they can be used uh a lot of times you think about standards as a kind of negative way but um you know kind of homogenizing or something like that but it's good to think about in terms of like what purpose they serve and and how they can be used to make people um you know kind of make the students um learn a lot and and grow as human beings and all those kind of things so it's very good to to call attention to the the function of these standards a lot of times 
you know, it's kind of easy for, especially as a student as well, to feel frustrated with meeting yeah. certain jumping through hoops or something like that. You know, <laughs> so uh, yeah. So Kavita, if we could talk a little bit about um, kind of. Uh, also, I want to get in on um, what is a belief or practice you have that is unpopular, or strange within your industry. Um, you know, right now you're working as the development director, as you mentioned in your bio of theater in Berkeley. Uh, tell us a bit about your, your work there and, um, and how you're opening up avenues for, um, social justice causes. Yeah. Well, um, so as the development director, I, I'm involved in, in fundraising and, uh, donor relations. And, um, it's been very interesting to, to meet people who, who support theater locally. Um, these are people who just really support the arts and value um, the the impact that the arts can have on your life, you know, <laughs> within or without a conflict. Um, but the theater itself is doing a lot of work to confront and dismantle oppression. And um, in a lot of theater spaces historically in the United States, as well as museum spaces, have been sort of exclusive um, and uh, not necessarily inclusive of people of color. And Aurora Theater is doing so much to open the door wider for BIPOC playwrights, directors, crew, audiences. And um, I think there are people out there who, who are longtime supporters of the arts who um, are willing to accept the idea that uh, opening the door wider for diverse audiences and, and creators doesn't mean shutting the door on the Western canon. The Western canon can still exist and, um, you know, we can still have Shakespeare, but but also have, uh, you know, Jacqueline ba Blackhouse. And it just, uh, I think it would be really interesting to, um, to, to see uh, what changes are coming. Mm. Yeah, I know that I always appreciate when they revisit um, through the lens of these causes and through the lens of BIPOC experience, uh, the canon, that's always a nice, uh, refreshing way to revisit, uh, some of these, some of these documents that, some of these, uh, plays and, and documents that have become kind of, uh, known to us. So it's always nice when we revisit that through the lens of like, you know, I know a lot of times the internet is full of, uh, you know, kind of people who deride that, but I think personally I celebrate kind of both original works um, as well as revisiting um, canonical uh, works through the lens of of the the current experience of, or the contemporary experience. Um, it's always interesting. Yeah, thank you, thank you. So um, yes, yeah, so then any uh, we can go into like more broad discussion uh, as we start to wind down. We have about fifteen minutes left. Um, you know, I just want to remind this is the Truth to Power Show and Radio for Brooklyn. Um, we're here with Kavita Abdullah and Sada Ramaswamy. Um, we're talking a little bit about, uh, various topics, including the arts and the arts empowerment. Um, if I can distill them, you know, how, how the, um, the themes of the show, how, um, you know, arts empowerment can help, uh, young students as well as our social justice causes, finding some connections between the next generation and, and social justice causes, um, and as well as understanding the values that underpin, 
you know, being a social justice warrior, if you will, um, you know, kind of the, 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 the uh, fundamental values of human values that underpin these, this journey into the social, um, and understanding how that they, these are the basic foundations for being human, basic foundations for us to progress as a society. Um, yeah, and, and if anyone has any thoughts about um, kind of like what what does it mean that these phrases we use, the show right now is using the phrase the truth to power show. Um, what does that mean? What, how can we unpack that? You know, like we've unpacked it um, to some extent as being like, um, you know, finding truth letting empower you. But what's your take on phrases such as uh, the truth to power or truth speaking truth to power? Um, how can you kind of better understand that? Um, who wants to take that? You want to cover that? You want to take a little bit of that? Um, so, again, I think it, it's about advocating for social justice, honoring um, honoring the rights of of everyone. Yeah. And speaking about it. Yeah, you mentioned a little bit about your faith in the answer, um, I believe. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about... Uh, the Sikh faith and and how that informs your uh, your understanding of social justice, your empowerment, or um, well, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll use my dad as a model because he was very devout, um, yeah. and you know, basically, the the word what he taught me was that the word for God is synonymous with the word for truth, mm. and meditating on 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 truth will ultimately empower you to seek justice for others. Mm. And those those are that's what he passed down to me about the religion. Um, yeah, so giving you a compass to be able to direct self direct and know where, where the where the um where the direction is you want to go and that'll help bring about love and 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 empowerment and peace and and all these wonderful uh, values that then mentioned, nonviolence. How how can that you know all the times these these pillars um, can stand apart and how can we integrate them? So, so that you want to take a little bit of a, maybe, um, maybe also reflecting on, uh, the person's political is something that, uh, comes up in the conversation. Um, mm-hmm. you know, kind of how, how you talk a little bit about that if you can. Yeah. yeah so f- for me, the personal is political. It really, um, it means defining your role in your family, your relationships and your society. Um, as a woman and as a householder, um, I find myself juggling so many different duties and responsibilities all the time. And that's really to balance, you know, all the balls that we hold up in the air. And um, I really like to take charge of things and make sure things get done properly. And I often find that my own leadership is essential to make life go in the direction that I want. And I think that's probably very true for many women and people in general that if you want something positive to come out of your life you have to work towards it you have to take the steps necessary to go in that direction and uh, when I think about truth to power I really feel like it means really standing up for what you believe in what you think is right Um, this can be seen um, I mean, we see that very often when we find things that are unjust or unfair, but when interacting with friends or colleagues or even strangers at times, you know, 
Um, me personally, I don't like confrontation very much, and I think that's something that I need to work on. But like, um, like I was saying earlier, like bullying is a big, big issue. It's probably the the biggest um, catchphrase, I guess, in schools and and uh, being able to stand up for what you believe in, what you think is right, and also helping out someone who's struggling um, is something that um, we have to learn to do. And so, you know, remaining silent when things are unjust or unfair, it's really so much more damaging. And I think that young people need to develop that and learn it and um, be brave enough to say, okay, I'm going to help my fellow you know, classmate or person or something when injustices are occurring and demanding or expecting change is something that we all need to do. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, it takes a great deal of communication skills to um, confront and, and, and use words and language to be able to address uh, oppression when it happens, if there's bullying, and bullying is a form of oppression in a sense. I mean, I think that it's kind of practice on the schoolyards, which ends up being uh, more systemic uh, because this behavior, this kind of domination behavior is definitely the, the, the uh, yeah, I mean, I'd be curious what you think about the relationship between like bullying and, and, and social justice uh, oppression, uh, the causes of dismantling oppression. Is that, is this something you see connection between or like, and, and how do you find the personal manifestations? You know, a lot of times you think about, um, you know, systemic racism being a code in the blood or the bodies of all people. That systemic racism is something that is is um, just written written in us. That it's just so difficult to separate. Um, you know, when it comes to you know the messaging we're receiving from the world. Um, you know, trauma is something that that's that's written in the body. And um, you know, I'm just starting to explore the book, my my grandmother's hands, which deals with. Uh, you kind of that kind of a thesis, um, you know that 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 uh, racism is something that's that's not like uh, someone else's problem, but ev- everyone's problem, you know. I was in the library with my daughter recently. She's nine years old, and um, it's Pride Month, and there was a, a an exhibit um, with a T-shirt on it, a pink T-shirt that said "Silence equals death." Uh. And I had to, you know, I, I explained to her uh, what that meant to me historically. You know, I was I was maybe in fifth or sixth grade um, when um, the world started to learn about AIDS. Uh, mm. And um, I talked to her, you know, her generation is, is wonderful, at least, you know, in our community here in Albany, you know, she... Um, She's not committed to to uh, labeling people by gender. She's she asks people what their pronouns are. She, you know, um, she's she's very loving and accepting of uh, how people want to how people um, accept themselves mm. and how people see themselves. And um, we don't have a lot of bullying here. Knock on wood. Not yet. You know. Uh, but I feel like she she would speak up, and and I think that um, sometimes, unfortunately, it's not safe to speak up. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes, 
you know, we, we find ourselves in positions where if we speak up for someone who's being bullied, um, we we put ourselves under attack as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we put ourselves at risk of, as well. And sometimes there are some of us with enough privilege that we can we can face that. Um, but some of us sort of need to find different avenues to advocate for, for people we feel like are being bullied. And mm-hmm. that takes a support system. Yeah, nowadays we have the phenomena, if you will, of, uh, you know, when there's oppression happening, a lot of people can record at the very least, it maybe not interfere or intervene in the, in the normal traditional sense, but at the very least called accountable by recording. A lot, of, a lot of the progress you made has been by having a record of the systemic oppressive uh, behaviors by police or by, um, you know, all these kind of um, agents of the government or the police mainly, but um, yeah. And it goes back to healthcare as well, you know, like let's, yeah. we, you know, back in the 1980s, we blamed people for getting sick and yeah. we still do it, right? Yeah. We blame people for, for illness. Mm. Yeah, we have to understand more empathetic. And if we kind of look at behaviors of larger bodies under the same lens, we look at an individual, um, individual action. We might be able to make some progress because we we hold individuals more accountable than we do um, kind of the way in which. But the individual is actually an expression of that collective body of um, identity. So when it comes to like, you know, it's hard to separate out uh, individual police officers from the way they're trained or the way they're approached as a as a body. So that's just one example of many of how, you know, we need to revisit um, how we're kind of uh, teaching uh, these groups of bodies, if you will, um, and training them. So it comes down to, as as Sid has been pointing out, it comes to the fundamental messaging they receive from a young age, and and how and as they get older and they get, get into these um, specific uh, identities, um, uh, I mean occupational identities, how they're being trained in the occupational identity to treat uh, or behave in their job. Um, and that's part of their education, in a sense, you know. So it's good. Yeah, thank you, thank you. So I just want to remind listeners, this is the Truth of Power Show on Radio for Brooklyn. We have a couple of quick announcements before we begin to wrap up. Um, uh, do you, did you know that June is Men's Health Month? The Cancer Services Program, CSP of Brooklyn, hopes you will use this time to take positive step towards preventing all forms of cancer, including colorectal. Historically, men are less likely to get screened for colorectal cancer, yet men contract it more than women. If you are over 45 years of age and encourage you to take your healthcare provider to schedule, go to your healthcare provider to schedule screening. If you're under 45, contact your provider to discuss your risks when you should start. For men in Kings County, age 45 and older, without insurance, the CSP may be able to help you with free cancer screenings. For those who qualify for colorectal cancer screening, please contact the CSP at 718-250-8708 to learn more at tinyurl.com slash nycancerscreening. The CSP is supported by funds in the state of New York. Okay. So, uh, Radio for Brooklyn is, uh, mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote literacy and free expression and public art. Um, we pri- rely primarily on donations and listeners like you. So every dollar helps us seem to stay on air, allows us to continue to work in the community. Uh, we are a 501c3 nonprofit organization. So all contributors are tax deductible. 
Please support with a monthly pledge or one-time donation at RadioFlickin.org slash donate. If you're an Amazon shopper and would like to donate in a way that costs you nothing, go to RadioFlickin.com slash Amazon and register RadioFlickin as your Amazon small charity. Every time you shop, a portion of your purchase benefits ready for Brooklyn. If you're listening to this uh, broadcast in front of your computer, free yourself up by uh, going to um, the mobile app stores for iPhone or Android, um, app store for iPhone and Google Play Store for Android. And finally, uh, be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for latest news and upcoming RFB events. You can sign up at readyfulcon.org slash newsletter. Okay. So, any final uh, comments? Uh, we'll give you a chance to give some final comments, about a minute each. Um, so then, and then we'll close up. Um, so, um, so though, would you like to give a final thought or a final offering to the to the listeners? Um, well, I, I did want to say thank you so much for having me on your show and being able to talk about all of these very important. Um, topics and um, um, I feel very privileged to do, be doing what I'm doing and, and feel like this is my calling in life and you know we work with s- s- little people but we're our aim is to make big changes and try to make the world a better place so I think that uh, it's a lot of hard work but it's definitely a privilege to do what I do Thank you, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. So, Kavita, would you like to give a final thought or offering to the listeners? Uh, thank you again for having us here today. Um, you know, support the arts. That's my, <laughs> that's my final thought is please, please support, support your local arts organization. Thank you, thank you. And that, that includes Ready for Brooklyn. So, Ready for Brooklyn, uh, we have the archive of past... 200 plus episodes at radiofulcon.org slash truth to power. And, uh, you can keep, keep, uh, keep informed of our progress, uh, every Sunday at 11 a.m. Please feel free to tune in, um, or listen to our archives of 200 plus episodes. Um, we're going to have some big changes going on in radiofulcon.org, uh, truth to power show. Um, so keep, please stay tuned as we start to develop through the summer. Um, more than likely I'll be stepping down as host. Um, but we, ha- we have someone else coming in uh, in September in the fall as a new host. So hopefully you'll all tune in and find out more information as we progress. Thank you so much for being here. The next show is coming up. So thank you. Thank you so much. Take care. Have a good, uh, have a good Sunday. Thank you. Thank you.